Welcome to the Teardown Show. David. Michael. Do you ever, do you have any bands that you, or artists that you like that are well past their prime that no one else listens to that you kind of, you kind of start, you, you, you follow them throughout their career and they keep producing music, even though no one else is really listening to them, you continue to? I don't know. I'm trying to think. I, I don't know who, I'm sure there is. I can't think of it, but I will tell you, I have, had a resurgence of uh, interest in Fleetwood Mac, believe it or not. I never really was a big Fleetwood Mac fan, but I've all of a sudden become one. Yeah. Well, like, just as of recent. I'm speaking more like an artist that was like never that well known, maybe had like one or two hits and then becomes obscure again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fleetwood Mac is certainly one of those those super bands that everyone has heard yeah, of. They're a super band. So there's an artist named Mike Doty who is the who is lead that? singer for a, a band called. Uh, um, you remember the remember um, the song Super Bon Bon? No. Why don't you, you sing it for for me and the listeners right now? I'm not going to do it. Please sing it. Please sing it. You know, the last time they heard me sing, we got lots and lots of emails saying, yeah. "Why doesn't Michael start singing? Yeah. We love David's voice, but we would love to hear Michael singing." And so th- the band was Soul Coughing, and they had like one hit. I've that heard that yeah. name, and that's yeah. about it. That's as far as it goes. So anyway, they're. There are their lead singer Mike Doty has had a pretty prolific career afterwards, but mm-hmm. it, you know he's and he's written a book about this, um, about how like he had, he was he had this really famous for one, you know, a couple years. Uh, he got into drugs. He ended up hating his bandmates, and he really was the creative driving force behind this band. Anyway, he he's kind of been fairly obscure since, but like he has a kind of a pretty loyal following, and I'm one of those few people who follow him still. And uh, so he he came to Seattle last night and, and played an acoustic set. And uh, I went with a couple friends. It was a lot of fun. There's another how artist. Big a crowd, how big a crowd does he draw these days? I'd say there's like maybe 200 people in the audience. It's like, well, it's so. That's significant. Do you remember Men at Work? You sure. remember Men at Work. So they were pretty big. So the, the lead singer for that band. From Down Under. Yeah. Colin Hay. I still follow him. And I went, I did, I similarly went to a concert by him last fall. There's like 500 people in the audience. But he's had a, he's had a little more success than Mike Doty in his kind of post big day career. Anyway, those are, I, I kind of collect these obscure artists who go on to have <laughs> smaller careers after their big, sh- uh, after the big shooting to fame periods. So, so there, so I'll, I'll tell you, there is a band that I liked, although I'm now that you mentioned that I'm now looking to see if they've released any albums as of recently. And it doesn't look like they've released any albums since 2000. Uh, a band called The Untouchables, which I was a real huge fan when they released their album Wild Child back in 1985. I was still in high school at that time. The Untouchables. Was it, what, what was the genre of music? Would you ska, ska. But it was like a pop. It wasn't hardcore ska. It was like pop ska. It appears, though, they're still active. I'm looking at their Wikipedia page, and they started in 1981. And they're still active. And what's interesting, though, they have the number of the members of the band are there are eight members in the band and the past members look about list of a good close to 20. Um, so they've rotated a lot of members in and out of this band, but they're still around. Surprisingly, although they haven't released an album since <laughs> in 2000. Almost, in almost two decades. Yeah. Yeah. So 
There was, and, and that, by the way, that is an example of a band where I saw their music video was so taken by the music video. And, and I recommend, you know, I'll put it as a, a to do list for, uh, to watch. In fact, I'll look it up to see if it's available on YouTube. Uh, their song, and this was one of their big hits, was called Free Yourself. And, um, I love the song after seeing the, the video and I went out and bought the album purely off of seeing the video. All right. All right. Let's move on to the show. Yeah. Stories. David, what's the furthest away you've ever stayed in a hotel from like your home? Like, like the Australia, Australia. Well, I've got a, I've got a new place you could go even further. Where can I, where is there further than Australia? Space, well, space, far away. space, David. Space? Yes. Space hotels are coming. There's a guy named Robert Bigelow. He's a billionaire hotel, hotel mogul. Um, how and difficult would it be to construct a hotel in space? It won't be that hard. If you're, if you're, no, a, I mean, how if, really, how if you're a, that be? if you're a billionaire hotel mogul, probably not that hard because you, because all you have to do is to pound your fist on a desk and yell at somebody, yes. get it done. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so he founded a company called Bigelow Space Operations in 1999, and now they're actually close to bearing fruit, this company, and they're, they're going to actually start, uh, I think in 2021, offer space hotel pods to stay in if you have like a cool million dollars or so you can go stay in space. Are you excited? I got a cool million dollars to stay in. What am I going to do in space? <laughs> it's only low eight figures. Uh, a stay in the hotel will only be low eight figures, David. Low eight low, figures. Now, low eight figures. Can I like, this apply to my Mario? I like to have to say low. Like, like if if you're if you're paying something in eight figures, you're worried about money. It's in the low eight figures. Yeah, I mean, if it was the high eight figures, yeah. hey. but low eight figures. I mean, twenty to thirty million. I'm okay with once you start pushing to 40, I think you're, you're taking me for a ride. Yeah. I, I feel like a fool at that point. So I think it'd be kind of cool. I mean, hopefully in our lifetime week, we could do this. Maybe by the time, you know, maybe in someday it'll be like, like high six figures at some point. Maybe it'll be democratized. You'll, you'll be happy to know that the video of free yourself by the untouchables is available on YouTube. Does the video involve space travel? No, it's just, a couple of really cool it's a really cool LA band black and white doing a cool pop ska song it's fun and as i watch it can i like picture a young david spark dancing in his room i wasn't dancing in, it was in more like of, in like miami vice sports coats i didn't have you know i never had one of those did you have parachute but, but for a period of time i did and i still do i will wear uh loafers without socks did you wear parachute pants no, I never had parachute. Did you have parachute pants? I don't think. I think I skipped those. The ones, if, for those who you listening who are too young, I think they weren't they like pants with zippers on them. Like, no, they didn't have zippers on them. Those were other kind of idiot idiot pants. What were those zipper? I did. Pants? I, what I, were the I zipper? Pants? I did have some pants like that. Zipper. Wait a second. I'm about to reveal something huge on the podcast. Are you ready? I'm sitting this down. Is, I don't I'm think this down. has ever been revealed on a podcast before. Are you ready? Are you sitting down, Michael? I'm sitting down. I'm so excited. And this is going to be this is going to be monumental. This is going to be gigantic. When they write the this, story about podcasting, like the book, will this be a chapter? Well, this will be more of I can't believe David Spark admitted to this, revealed this uh-huh. from his high school uh-huh. days. This is bigger than big, huger than huge. Okay, you are sitting down. Yep, let's do this, Michael. 
I break danced in high school. I'm not surprised. I could spin on my back, spin on my hand, and pop and lock. <laughs> can you still do you ever do you ever pull out the pop and lock for the family? I can physically pop and lock still, as in doing the wave and all that kind of funky stuff. Um the other stuff that requires a lot more physical capability. Yeah. Uh, not nearly as yeah. well. Well, uh, if there's any video that you could surface of that young David Spark break you know, I'd like to see it. Somebody did actually, I was at a party in, in, um, in Chicago where someone yelled spark break dance. And I was a little, I had a little bit of alcohol in my system and, uh, and I did, and they videotaped it, and God willing, that has been destroyed. <laughs> but that is the only evidence I know that exists out there, and hopefully it's been destroyed. All right. Oh, it's the next story. Next story is the great Twitter purge. Now, the, the Twitter went through and decided to get rid of all these bots, these Twitter bots, why they are taking this long to do it. I don't know why there has to be a threat to our national democracy before they do this i don't know but they finally got around to doing it yay twitter i don't know if we should congratulate him and say hey guys way way too late but in the process of purging all these bots of which many of them were russian generated bots and the way they did this was they went started going through and verifying accounts and they verify accounts with a phone number of which many of these bots did not have a phone number to verify um Two things happened. One, a lot of conservative tweeters got locked out because they did not have phone numbers. And when I say locked out, they couldn't tweet for a couple hours, BFD. Uh, but the second thing is that their follower counts, you know, did a significant drop, sometimes about 8% of their followers, which were Russian bots, were no longer there. So that was the great Twitter purge, which got a bunch of conservative tweeters up in arms for but a moment, and now it's all over. Yeah, like they actually like even try to get a movement going. Like, like let's yeah. let's start a hashtag and and rally around this. Yeah, let's get those Russian bots they, back. To they weren't mad about like they, they were they were more concerned about losing followers on Twitter than they were about the shooting in Parkland. I think. Well, the fact that just <laughs> hey, all of this is insanity. Did you see there was a video that I saw on Facebook of a CNN reporter interviewing a woman? who was running a Facebook page that was, it was like, you know, it was called, called like Patriots United, something, you know, very generic sounding like that. And she had no idea that this Patriots United group was actually a Russian group that had generated this site and she was managing it. And she was yelling at the reporter saying, no, you're wrong. And he said, no, this is actually a Russian organization that generated this. It is a known... And he, she just wouldn't. She just started yelling at him and screaming at him. So, even when facts are presented, often many people do not want to hear them. Yeah, we're in a post-fact world. Yes. Hey, do you use Snapchat yet? I still don't. Now, have you? And you know, I have a Snap story that I will add after yours. Hold, but let me ask you: Do you use Snapchat? Your kids must. No, we don't want our kids use Snapchat. At least, uh, my my son has no interest. My daughter is too young. Um, and but hold it. So, but which which social media are they on? Your kids? Uh, just Instagram. 
just that seems to be the popular one for the kids. That's what all the kids are doing. The kids are doing that. And let me say, per when we had uh, my nephew and my cousin on, who both teenagers, or my wife's cousin actually, um, this whole phenomenon really was with her. This what we had read and you had echoed that one third of the people of your followers end up like liking or commenting on your, on your posts. Similarly, this is for like any size group. My, my niece who is on Instagram posts very, not very rarely. I think she has all of six posts has maybe like four or 500 followers. She posts one picture. got like 130, 150 likes. And I was like, that one third variable still holds true, even with a small group, even when you're not posting a lot, when you're a high school student. Hmm. Yeah, I don't get that many when I post up. Switch old people. No, I never. I, I think the most I've busted is maybe thirty, maybe forty, maybe. That's you know, and and I've got. I think I got. I don't know. I think I got like six or seven hundred followers. I don't have a lot. What do I have? I also did a great Instagram purge. We talked about this. I recommend the Instagram purge. Have you done the Instagram purge yet? No, I don't. I don't see need. No, there is because you, you get a lot of good six hundred. Yeah, a little over six hundred. Um, okay, for example, this my last one, which did pretty well by my standards, got twenty likes. <laughs> oh no, the one before that got thirty. So the sh- the show's devolving to a social media, how to get likes. Strategy no, it is session. just. It's just if I was a high school student, I'd be doing yeah, a lot better. You'd be a very sad high school student. All right, hey, let's go back to your story, though. But so, so you still haven't done Snapchat yourself. You still haven't loaded it. I don't see any. At some point, you, at some point, you got to make choices. Exactly. Like, what and am that's I going to do? Why don't we do I'm, I'm already, I'm already occupying my time on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Yeah, I don't go out that much. I don't have that many friends. What are you, what am I using Snapchat for? Wait a second. Did you go out with a friend to, to go yes, see? That's pretty the, rare. Majority? I went last night. That's pretty rare for me to go out. So all right, go on. Anyway, more and more we're seeing police using. These social media apps to solve crimes, these next generation kind of platforms. We've, you know, we see it with Alexa, and now uh, the police have, are using Snapchat, at least requested that Snapchat turn over user logs to solve a murder uh, that revolved around a drug deal. And Snapchat was complicit, yes? Uh, they actually did turn it over, but the problem is, I think the request came in two months after, and apparently Snapchat's policies, they keep the you know, all the snaps on their servers for a month, but they did comply with the, the federal district of Colorado, which was the jurisdiction and they mm-hmm. turned over some evidence. So uh, apparently the drug deal is going, the, the communication around the drug, drug deal went down in Snapchat and they learned this. And I'm not surprised because Snapchat has this basically secret, you know, it's, it's things are ephemeral. They, they expire in Snapchat. So it makes sense that drug dealers would use it. Yeah, but they don't realize that Snapchat can hold on to all this stuff still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but like to get access to, it, you have to you have to go through a lot, and there'd have to be like you know warrants and and subpoenas. So I mean, it makes sense that they would largely use it because policemen aren't going to be able to uncover communications unless they go through all that that rigmarole. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. I do think that's interesting, and I will add my snap story the the, the story of the Kylie Jenner tweet. Did you hear about this thing? This is this is kind of unbelievable, and I'm going to try to do this before this audio starts playing. I want to pull it and actually quote the actual tweet it said. It said, but she puts out a tweet that questions um, the the value of Snapchat. 
right here. This was a tweet on February 21st. She puts out the tweet. So, and I say it like that because it's so with three O's. So does anyone else not open chat? Excuse me, chat. So does anyone else not open Snapchat anymore? Or is it just me? Ugh. This is so sad. (laughs) Okay. So that is the tweet. Gets 349,000 likes. 75.3 thousand people are talking about it. She's 24.6 million followers. And what is the net result of this casual response? 1.3 billion. You heard that correct. B, bill, bill, billion dollars in Snapchat value drops because of that tweet. Now, I say because there is an, uh, you can see a cause and effect in terms of the time when the tweet and when the value drops. So this goes to a comment that I had said a long time ago about when Snapchat refused to sell for a billion dollars. Remember when we chat about this on the show, Michael? Yes. My attitude was high school, like each generation of high school students picks their own thing. You know what I mean? So the fact that high school students are using Snapchat now does not mean the next generation of high school students are going to use it. They're going to have their own thing. They Each generation wants their own thing. And this may be the sign of if it, if things are this volatile that a single tweet from Kali Jenner can, yeah, yeah. can make you un, uncool all of a sudden, second, they are susceptible to this. Yeah. And so this is my feeling this will happen. I love how she <laughs> – the, the story ends. She, she tweeted later, still love you though, snap, Jenner hedged. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's. She's like, "Oops, I better better just say something nice." How sad! So sad. So sad. I wonder. I wonder if Donald Trump uses Snapchat. Uh, I don't think. I think he's just Twitter only. He's a Twitter man. I, I use his Facebook. He's not on Facebook. He's, he's you, you know, think he, You think Facebook. Trump started friend, on Friendster? You think he used it back then? That's a good question. You know my. When I met my wife, we connected on Friendster. Wait, 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 wait. You connected first with your wife on Friendster? No, no, no. But we had met in Oh, my person. gosh. I thought maybe you're like the only couple to that ever, that ever did. That connected no, but I Friendster. think that's the first social network we connected through was uh, through Friendster. All right. Next story. So my story, which refers to what we were talking about last week, about how great these students who are fighting – um, this amazing fight against the NRA. And actually, what I didn't put in here is another story that's coming out of this boycott NRA, which has started where a lot of companies that have partnerships with the NRA, essentially offering discounts to NRA members, are now ending their discounts. And one thing that I didn't even realize existed, there's something called NRA TV, and Google and Amazon and I believe Apple are all carrying NRA TV. Now, they may be locked into contracts that they can't get out of, um, which is why I'm feeling that probably they may or may not be uh, the reason they're they're dumping them, or not dumping them, excuse me. Uh, but that would be awesome if uh, all three of those networks just said, we're done, we're not going to um, carry NRA TV anymore. 
um, you know, they have five million members in NRA, but there are far more many millions of people in this country who uh, who couldn't sort of put an end to their bullying, if you will. But connected to that as well is these students who are doing such a great job, uh, the students from Florida who unfortunately suffered this horrible attack, who are fighting the local government in Florida and going to the federal government as well, they are immediately having their their um, their work being devalued online. And it's all completely bogus. But what's interesting is the press is giving it legitimacy. It is eating up news cycles because this behavior now becomes news. And whether it's true or not, the fact that the information's in people's heads is unfortunately yeah. Yeah. devaluing them, which which is a bummer, but I think we should just all recognize for what it is. It's an attempt just to create other information out there, have news eat up the cycles, and just put doubt in your head. They they know it doesn't need to be true. It just needs to eat up the cycles of news, what appears on the day's news, and put doubt in people's head. And that's it. That's all it needs to do. Nothing else. And that's what it's unfortunately doing. Information warfare, my friend. Mm-hmm. Hey, so I went to Amazon Go. We talked about it on the show. And it was my, And you my, bought it, how you I, bought how much By the way, since that time we spoke, have you been back? No, but my daughter, it's like her new Disneyland. She keeps asking to go back. She like she's so she liked it so much. <laughs> Such a magical experience. It's kind of scary. Um but she's like, "Can we go to Amazon Go tonight?" I'm like, "No. I'm busy." But um She com- always wants to go to Amazon Go. She, yeah, she she had a good time. Anyway, uh they're bringing six more of these stores to life in 2018. Some of Where them, will, they some be? of them will be in Seattle, but they're actually going down to LA. Really? I can also, I can envision them bringing one to like, like San Francisco area. I could see that happening. I would assume so. Although there's not a lot of space in the city. No, not much. Uh, yeah, that I'm all, I'm all for checking out. Now that's an interesting thing that the Amazon goes become the Disneyland. Let me ask you your kids. And it could be, you know, something, a local thing. Your kids want you say, kids, whatever you want to do tonight, and it's a you know within a say twenty thirty minute drive from your house. What is the number one thing they want to do? Whether it be like a restaurant, entertainment, what is it they want to do? What is their favorite thing to do? Well, I think now my daughter likes to go to the mall with her friends. Um, Not hang out with their dorky dad. No, uh, my sons like probably play with play play magic or cards with his friends, like that magic game. Do you play magic? I don't, but I saw the documentary about magic on Netflix. Did your son see that, or I don't did you know. see it? I have to watch that with him. It's it's not a great documentary, but since your son's into magic, he definitely would like yeah. it. Um, but it's just fascinating. I didn't realize the problem with the documentary is they still don't really explain the intricacies of how the game is complicated. I mean, they do kind of explain the game, but they don't explain why it's you have to train so hard and it's such an intense competitive game. Like I still don't get that part of the game. Um, I vaguely understand the rules of it, but that's about it. But I don't, what I don't necessarily like about it is it feels like you have to spend a lot of money to be good at it, which to me is like, so it kind of counters the idea of skill based games. Um, Meaning that you have to have more and more cards. Well, there's rare cards that are just really good. Like just make your decks really good. And those are expensive Mm -hmm. on the like, on kind of secondary markets. Right. 
Um, but to me, so your did, son wants to buy those all the time. No, nah, I mean, he just likes to play with his friends. Like he doesn't necessarily have to have the best cards, but did the documentary talk? Or now, were it, you, then were you into Dungeons and Dragons that's when you were a kid? You're, yeah, let me finish. <laughs> I was going to say, did okay. the documentary give a nod to Dungeons and Dragons as kind of the historical precedent to this? Cause I feel like this I is, this is like, I'm a, sure it did. If this game feels to me like kind of this generation's D and D and I, and I played D and D when I was a kid. Oh, did I? I played plenty of it. Plenty. I wish, though, I hadn't thrown away. You know, I had made all these maps and and dungeon things, things I had written out and and on graph paper, and also written whole things. I still I have a few of those. Believe, I still have some of those. I threw them all away. I wish I and I wish I still had all my books too, all gone. I wish I still. You know, D and D having a moment again because of uh, that show on HBO um, with the kids. Why am I blanking on it? Uh, with Stranger Things. Yeah, Stranger Things. Because the kids are playing D and D, and it's really the the whole. The concept of the show is kind of based on D and D in a way, right? With demogorgons, so I think there's a new generation of kids who were playing or, and young twenty somethings who are playing D and D, which is kind of cool. Well, there was uh, Brian Posehn, the comedian Brian Posehn. He had that podcast. I don't know if it's still around called uh, Nerd Poker, where they just played Dungeons and Dragons. I love Brian Posehn; he's great. Well, I knew Brian a lot. Uh, I mean, we were very close during my comedy days. I mean, we hung out. In fact, when I left uh, San Francisco, he was roommates with Patton Oswalt, and he and Patton threw me a going away party, actually. Um, I want those the, pictures. And By the way, were you done? Were you breakdancing at that party? No, I was not breakdancing at that party. <laughs> I have, though, I have an audio tape of them talking about my party and about someone drinking some alcohol that was supposed to be left over for my party, and one of them is doing an impression of me on the phone. I have an audio recording of that somewhere. You had to pull that one out. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny, you know. There was a, when I was doing comedy, there was a period of time every comedian used to do an impression of me. And it got so bad that one of the comedian's girlfriends actually started doing an impression of me. Like your your stage style or your voice or, or just My kind of- voice, my voice. <laughs> and a, and a little bit of my stage style, but mostly my voice. <laughs> They every literally everyone was doing an impression of me. So, I don't know if that's a compliment or something. Should I be- take it as a compliment, but it, I mean, it just cracked me up that <laughs> everyone did one. Everyone did one. I mean, and, and that was the point when I realized everyone did one was when the girlfriend started doing yeah. one of me too. <laughs> um, and, it, and by the way, I should say the female. It's not just because a woman was doing the female comics were doing impressions of me, but the fact that. Someone outside of the comedy yeah, sphere was yeah. starting to do an impression of me. That's when you're big time. Yeah, there, there you go. Uh, all right. So we have talked uh, a little bit about the Me Too movement on the show. And do you remember when we talked about this a while, about that Google engineer that put out that memo, that very infamous memo saying that women weren't essentially bred to be engineers? Yeah. And they don't have this sort of the, the physical capability or mental capability to be an engineer? And he got a lot of flack for it, even though a lot of people were supporting him, even though it was horrifically not politically correct, like awfully not politically correct. Well, so the uh, there is this claim coming out that and I'm trying to see who the who's making the claim. I forget who makes the claim, but that he set the 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 existence of the memo. Oh, it's a U.S. Labor Board lawyer. That's who it is. U.S. Labor Board lawyer said. The existence of the memo is sexual harassment 
towards female employees. And the reality is it's not sexual harassment is what, what, uh, the, his, the, the, uh, Google engineer's lawyer is saying, saying it's gender discrimination is really what the lawyer is trying to say. And in saying that this woman is not, not an expert on this subject, uh, or the, the lawyer is not an expert on this subject and that, that all of a sudden to say sexual harassment is inappropriate here. But given the Me Too movement and how people are sort of responding, maybe they are perceiving it as sexual harassment. I don't know. But anyways, I thought that was intriguing in the, that's, that this is now be, being seen as sexual harassment, this memo. I think it's interesting that a written word is seen as like an action. And I, and it's, well, it definitely can be, of course. Like so, you send, so I want to, well, that, that, that's what happened to that um, one engineer who worked for Uber, I believe it was, you know, <clears throat> when she was getting those, um, well, it was, they were private messages, but she yeah. was being sexually harassed through, <clears throat> through text messaging. Well, it's a, but it's a memo. Anyway, so I'm going to jump to like a story that I have in our uh, media recommendations because it's kind of related sure. and interesting. So I was listening to podcasts last night. Uh, before I was waiting to, uh, to go to this this concert, uh, you've heard of Criminal, the podcast Criminal. This, yeah, Criminal. Really as good. I, as I always point out, not to be confused with Smooth Criminal by yes, Michael Jackson. Yes, yes. So the latest episode is really good. It's called The Manual. And I, haven't, a, I haven't heard it yet, but I, I am a fan, and I listen. It's to about. It. It's really interesting. Apparently, there's a there's a publisher called Paladin Press that um, I know Paladin Press. Sure, they published like how to kill people like this is like manuals like this is how you kill someone this is how you uh launder money and well you know it's because there was um the there's a bookstore that always has these sort of alternative press yeah, yeah. thing and i always see i always go to that that shelf to just look at the titles yes now i remember so there was there was a a murder trial where a guy got busted in part because he had one of Paladin Press's books how to be a hitman on his mm-hmm. shelf and apparently the detectives realized that he followed like 20 of the steps in the book. Like they were able to tell this. And, Jeez. and, and so the, the, the lawyer who got the murder conviction, the process on the prosecution side, when the, everything was said and he said, you know what? Let's now look at this publisher. Like why? So he, they, what happened is he, the family brought a suit against the publisher, uh, for wrong, no, you know, for being an accomplice essentially in a murder. And, and of course, Anytime there's a like a written something written, they try to uh, protect themselves under the first uh, under the First Amendment, freedom of speech, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's a pretty common defense against things like this. Saying, "Hey, we, you're able to write anything that you want under you know, freedom of speech in the U.S. is very broad." And what the guy said is, you know, actually, if you are basically telling someone how to commit murder, um, that is not that should be protected under freedom of speech. You should be basically convicted as an accomplice or aiding and betting. And well, as, that's like shouting fire in a movie theater. So, so what happened is uh, the first the first uh, court they took it to said, no, this is protected. He appealed. And then in the circuit court said, actually, this is a valid judgment. Um, and right as they were saying that, um, Paladin Press decided to settle. So this is actually a really famous case. Um, but I, th- I did just you, think – Did uh, you read Did you read last month's uh, Wired magazine? I, ju- I no, literally no. just finished reading it. The whole, all the stories in in the the second half of the magazine are all about saying, you know, we're in a golden age of free speech, but it's 
sort of they have it burned because our theory of free speech is so messed up given how it's being abused yeah. and how people are just purposely spreading false information to create a sort of new dynamic of how data is being reported or information is being reported. Um, it, it's pretty fascinating because they look at all the different angles of how free speech is a very different world today. And uh, it's fa- it, it, there's four stories and they all take a look at a different angle of, of today's viewpoint of free speech. I highly recommend it. I'll check it out. Put that down as a media recommendation. Put it down. Last month's. Also put the manual on criminal. The, manual the, latest, the latest episode. Very good. Hold it now. I saw that you have a next story about the Teslas, but I heard they're they're coming out in about about a month. You may have your car in about a month. Yes. I think I'm in the June to August window for the Tesla three because as listeners, longtime listeners know, I put down a thousand dollar payment on a Tesla three. And so I, I actually have a buy option on one, and it's kind of been two years now, so I kind of forget that it's even there. If you choose not to buy, do you get your $1,000 back? No, but I think you could sell it. Like you could sell the buy option because like, this is like they're in demand, right? People want these new Teslas, so um, like I no, could – Hold on. So, so you're pretty much committed to purchase. What if the demand falls? Then you're 1000 bucks out and you don't want the car. I don't know if they give it back. I mean they might. I don't know. They I say it's a deposit. Deposit means yeah. you should get the money back. Who knows? They probably do. Anyway, so the story is Tesla is actually uh, has a new program they've unveiled that they're bringing car chargers to work, and it's actually a program where if you are a property owner, like you own like a work, like a physical office, they'll install mm-hmm. for free. All you have to do is pay for the electricity, which you know that probably could be substantial over time. But like the fact that they install this could be a nice way to recruit employees. Like if you're like. A, a software company wants well, like a, a guy who drives a Tesla. You can just offer this up, say, "Hey, we'll let you charge at work." Mm-hmm. You don't seem too excited, David. I'm all at Twitter. So here's a question: I work at home, um, and so my 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 this is like a, a good philosophical question I should pose to Tesla. If you work at home and you buy one of these things, can I actually install a charger for free? You should be able to. <laughs> I'm going to push this Here's, issue with them. But you know what? Everybody's against the at-home worker. Let me give you a perfect example. Our dentist is now dumping our uh, dental Just insurance. give it six months. You have probably dental insurance through your wife because she's got yeah, a full-time yeah, yeah. job, right? Yep. yep. See, I, I pay for it out of pocket, but there's for anyone who's an, an individual business owner, who's just like a, a solopreneur, one or two employees, there is nothing on the market left anymore for dental insurance. We have bounced to like three, four different dentists because every dentist keeps dumping our insurance. And now we found out the dentist we have now, which we adore, is dumping our insurance. And so I asked the the, the office manager who handles all the insurance to go, tell us who to go with. You know, who do you recommend? We'll go with who you recommend. She says, you're 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 a solo business owner, and I said, yeah. She goes, she goes. There's nothing. There's nothing. Huh. I'm and screwed. Aren't there some like consortiums or like kind of groups of like almost like 
were Home Workers Alliance or something you can just join? Because I know they have that for writers. Like writers can join and get insurance through like these writer kind of writer groups. Um, there has well, to be something. They do similar. it for health, not for dental. Huh. huh. Dental's a whole different ball of wax. It stinks. Hey, I'm telling you. I, I want some real-time advice. This is just apropos of nothing. Let's go. Real, real-time advice. We, Hold on. We, we talk about social media well, a lot. Well, cue the music. Remember we used to have a segment, your segment? What happened to your segment? We used to have your <laughs> segment about complaining about some band member. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> yeah. What was your segment? Well, here's my new segment. It's uh, a, it's it's real-time advice with Dave? Yeah, where David's like my social media advisor because you're okay. so sappy with all the social networks, no, including I'm Instagram. I'm, including I'm, no. including Snapchat. And I don't know Snapchat. This is actually one you know something about Instagram or Facebook or the LinkedIn. So face in, as I like to call yeah. it. So LinkedIn, I've been getting more and more of these like connection requests where people just say, Hey, I see yeah, hey, the, the yeah, the generic Hey one. Michael, I see we have mutual connections. I'd like to connect with you with LinkedIn to see if we can maybe eventually do something together. Like these that you know they're just cutting and pasting like to so well, no, first of all, you get the generic one. But I, I told you the problem is, and I did this once myself, sometimes when you connect in, it'll just pick up like 400 random names, 400, and say, hey, we found people you might want to connect with. And they're all checked. All you have to do is press one button. What's happening is the number of people who are just pressing this one button and spamming like 400 people. They're doing this because they're just trying to grow their network. It benefits them. But. If I say no, I don't want to be. I don't know this person. Uh, just ignore. Do you do you accept some of these? Do you ever say yes or do you ignore them? So I pretty much ignore all of them, but it would benefit you if you're trying to kind of spread the word just to say yes to absolutely everybody. If you're just trying to grow your social network and every time you post thing, expose it to more more people. What I have been doing, though, that has done extraordinarily well for me, I think I mentioned that I'd started this series on Forbes about the, the relationship between CISO and security vendors. Um, I'm trying to build up my sort of network of relations in that space. So anytime I see someone like or comment on one of my articles, I reach out to them and I always select the option, add a note, and I make a reference to the fact that they they liked or commented my uh my article and I say thank you very much and that starts a conversation and engagement as a result from from both public and from private conversations I I'm starting to see how much people are enjoying this series that I'm doing and I actually just compiled eight pages worth of reviews of the series of people saying wonderful things about it which is like great awesome so I'm using that as kind of a promotional tool as well um but uh it's um, what was going to say. Uh, if you just want to grow your network and you want to sell, you know, like you let anybody, you know, follow you on Twitter and people can just follow you on LinkedIn rather than actually connecting with you, you should just let everybody do it. And this concludes the first installment of social media advice from David Spark. Thanks, David. You are going to queue up music before that, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, I think that's our stories. All right. That's our story. All right. Let's get to me thanking the listeners, all of you. Thank you very much for listening, uh, being big fans. We, we were, there was some downtime of the podcast, but we are back. We're publishing it on a regular basis. Uh, it's coming to you fast and furious. Would you say fast and furious? Like the movie series is a way to describe our podcast series? 
No, I don't think there's that that urgency. Maybe maybe medium speed and slow semi- and middling. Yeah, you should call slow, it slow and middling. Slow and middling, <laughs> kind of like us. Um, so uh, you can follow us on the Twitters uh, at Michael Wolf with one F, not two Fs at the end, or at D Spark. Uh, you can find us at uh, teardownshow.com or email us at teardownshow at gmail.com. We're available on the podcast one and the technology.fn network. And I also want to mention, we never say this, Michael's business is Next Market Insights and it's nextmarket.co or his uh, event series, which the next one will be in Europe, which is the Smart Kitchen Summit, yeah. smartkitchensummit.com. I, my business is sparkmediasolutions.com. Uh, all right. Let us get to our media recommendations. And in fact, I see that you wrote a bunch and I'm going to write a bunch more because there's actually a couple more that I love so much too that I just got on. So you go with yours or let's well, go one and one. Now I only have one now because I talked about the, the criminal oh, right. murder manual episode earlier, but on a related note, there's a new podcast out by the same people who brought us criminal, mm-hmm. Phoebe Judge. And, and that, Ooh, by the way, I love her voice. A great voice. Anyway, and I saw, I saw her in person when we went to the, uh, Radiotopia show in San Francisco. So if you like your voice, you're going to love this new podcast called This Is Love. And mm-hmm. the first couple Now, is of- it, is This Is Love, this is, I'm assuming it's a, a reference to the um, Van Halen song. <laughs> it's actually, I think they're playing off, you know how she says, I'm Phoebe Judge and this is criminal? I, I think she, they, they kind of took that and used that for their naming convention for the new podcast. Anyway, the first couple episodes are just dynamite. Um, by the way, I haven't used that term dynamite to describe anything since. Do it, do it again, but do it like yeah, J.J. Walker. Yeah. <laughs> do it again. Dynamite. The, this oh, my pod- God. Good, right? Is that really your attempt at J- Jimmy J.J. Walker? <laughs> yeah. Was that really your attempt? Yeah. Was that the best you well, could let's hear, do? Let's hear you. Dynamite. Uh, it's worse. Like, like, oh, God, give me a break. So the podcast is really good. Uh, I would highly recommend it. The first two episodes are amazing. Like, uh, they know what they're doing. These guys make good podcast. I'm not going to give away uh, any spoilers, but one, uh, I'll tell you what the one was about, which is fantastic. Uh, it's about this lady who's swimming and, uh, she's like a record holder for like long distance swims and she, f- she feels something under her, like this giant. Oh, wait, this may be a woman I know. Um, I know, uh, uh um, what's her name? Uh, excuse me. I, I know her personally. Um, She's one Kim uh, Kim Chambers, I believe her, her name is. Anyway, she is broke, that who it is? She swam the English Canal at a really young age. I don't know if this is her or not. Oh no, she, no, it's not the same one. Anyway, it's about uh, a baby whale. I'm not going to give too much more than that, but you should right. listen. It's great. I listened to it. Well, I I have um, I have three things to recommend: two on Netflix, one podcast. First, The Mortified Guide. I have mentioned this live series mortified many times on the show before they have actually made attempts. They made an attempt at a really bad TV series that was interviewing celebrities. It just, it was cheesy. So they said, look, the thing that we're really successful with is the live show. Let's just put that up there. And there was a documentary about it, but now it's an actual, I think it's a six part series so far. It's up on Netflix. It actually shows you the live experience of being in the club, watching it. And it's really funny. And so I recommend it. I've only seen the first episode, but they did a really good job on the first episode. So I couldn't 
couldn't speak more highly of it because uh, I've seen the live show about 15 times. Um, but I recommend seeing uh, The Mortified Guide on Netflix. Now, also on Netflix, we're fans of Stranger Things, right? We are. Did you watch Beyond Stranger Things where they interview the actors and the director and, and the two brothers who created the show? No. Ah. So it's a series, I think, about... I think, I think it's about eight episodes, and they vary between like 12 to 25 minutes. And it's really fun. They show some outtakes, some alternative cuts, uh, but very briefly. But it's extremely well-edited and fast-paced. And what's also funny is you see these kids now considerably older than when they were in the in the series. Um, and they are so kind of with it and very... Uh, very much enjoy this roles, these roles that they have. So, and, and they, they're bringing in different actors for each one. So you get to kind of meet the whole cast. It's kind of fun. It's pretty awesome. So I recommend that beyond stranger things. I've only watched a couple and then a new podcast I just started, which I found completely fascinating from the verge. It's called why do you push that button? And it looks at just a single aspect of um, user experience and what compels us to participate in that sort of digital user experience. So one thing they did was something called a, um, a super, the, the first episode I listened to was uh, something called a super like on Tinder. So, you know, on Tinder, you can left and right swipe, you know, to say you don't like or like somebody, but they there's something called a super like, I didn't know because I, Tinder is after my time. Um, is that uh, if you swipe up, it indicates that you really like someone before they see you and indicate they like you. So it's like someone saying to you, hey, I know you haven't seen my picture yet and you haven't decided whether you like me or not, but I'm letting you know now I really like you. And it's kind of a big deal. And so they talked about the dynamic of that and whether it works or not. And it was a whole episode on just that. It's kind of fascinating. Like there's a swipe up? Like that's a thing? It's called a super like. Yeah, it's a – I didn't know. You are only allowed one super like a day or you can pay and get more super likes in a day. But they were talking about on the receiving end that it's kind of creepy to get a super like and maybe it's not a good thing to do. Um, so that's, that's what was kind of interesting about it. Anyways, it's, it's, it's a really good podcast. I highly recommend it. Why would you push that button? And I will listen to This Is Love. And what I'll do is in the background – I'll play uh, David Lee Roth singing This Is Love. Isn't he the one who sings it? Oh, no, not him. It's um the other guy, not not David Lee Roth. It's Hagar? The Sammy Hagar. Didn't Sammy Hagar sing that? So I think you're either you're either a you're either a Van Halen fan or a Van Hagar fan. And and I don't consider Sammy Hagar Van Halen Van Halen. Uh where do you stand on this issue, David? Uh I I definitely am more of a fan of the early Van Halen than the Hagar. So, so the Dave, but I Dave Lee Roth. still like Sammy Hagar. I don't so you, dislike. But, but you you think the true Van Halen was the Sammy the, the Dave Lee Roth era? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, well, that's when they were at their apex, their height. They were they were it. The only band, the the, band. I feel like the only band that really replaced the lead singer that did it well, and the band was actually did like canonical fantastic work was uh, when Brian Johnson took over. For ACDC, like, and this is getting old school, but like, but the, the, the Brian Johnson era of ACDC is pretty good. 
Were you not an ACDC fan? I wouldn't know. <laughs> I like ACDC. I was looking at some, you know, we did this one night. Um, do you ever look at the, the videos on Vivo? No. So it's got the, it's enormous collection of, of music videos and, and you, there's an app on uh, Xbox. And uh, I never sort of just started digging into old music videos. And so my wife and I were just mentioning a band. We'd look up a band and, you know, watch some old music videos. And, you know, we watched like a really recent Taylor Swift video, which is so highly produced, such a fortune. And then we watched this really just rudimentary ACDC video where it's all about these guys performing. And again, they didn't have the, the uh, technology available to create as cool a video as a Taylor Swift, but you know, that kind of just performance video, which all it is, is them performing is kind of lost. I think in music videos, because you don't see those anymore. I'd like to see those again, where you just get the, the energy of the performer alone. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever, you ever go eat um, Indian food? And I've noticed in a couple of Indian I've restaurants. I've never explained to me that so <laughs> the Indian culture has its own food. Yes. So the Indian food experience in, at Indian food restaurants in, in the U.S., I've noticed this at a couple of places. They always, they oftentimes have a TV in like, like up kind of in a corner playing Indian music, music. videos. Have you noticed they that? Do they, they, I've it's seen like, that where I see like that thing. more often is uh, uh, Middle Eastern. And, and, the, and the music videos are all kind of the same variety where there's a guy, yeah, like, exactly there's same. a guy courting a woman. And like, there's kind of a love story in like a five minute music video. Like, so that's always my fascinating. Yeah. So there's a Middle Eastern place we go to that always has, um, music videos playing. And then we have, uh, there's a burrito joint near us, which I love that always has soccer on the television. <laughs> always 100. Whenever it's, there are rare times when it's not on okay. extreme. You know what it, It's soccer is on or they're, Commentators talking in Spanish about something. I feel like there could be a That's whole there, feel, there could be a whole podcast episode talking about the different types of TV content playing at different restaurants and like like have you ever been to the sushi joint that is playing the weird kind of like Japanese sports videos or like like so we go to this one place called Blue Sea Sushi and they're always playing like these ski videos of like but they're all they're not or they're weird reality TV shows from Japan. I <laughs> haven't seen that, but okay. I'll tell you there was one sushi restaurant called Barracuda. In the Castro district, which I don't think is there anymore. And they used to always play, um, teen pop band videos. So Jap, J, J pop, uh, videos. And, and the thing is, they all look exactly the same. I mean, it's one group of good looking guys, one group of good looking girls. You don't ever actually see them mix. You don't see a girl and boy band, which I find a little odd. Like, why wouldn't they have like a, a girl and boy band? Mix them up, mix it up a little bit. But, um, they, uh, and I'm sure we're going to get lots of mail saying, you idiot, here are 20 bands that do that. Um, but I, I'd love to have some email telling me I'm an idiot for that matter. Right. So what's uh, in that? Because I'm such that? a genius, Michael. Don't you deal with this yourself? Now nah, you don't deal with it like no, I do. No. Um, it's hard being a chronic genius. Yeah. I get it's it. It's tough. So what's in the podcast? We took a short episode and made it super long. Again. Again. But it was good. All right, everyone. The next episode's all going to be about TV programs at your local restaurant. Send in your favorites. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.